0: Welcome to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So Liz.
1: Yes. Starting off Happy Hour of 2022 with the happiest of all news is that somehow a year later, our democracy, our fragile democracy on the brink of the abyss somehow survived the QAnon, Shaman, Indiana, Meemaw, uh selfie attack. On the Capitol a year ago, yesterday.
0: It's a miracle. It, it truly is just hanging by a thread. Just it's a just thread God's
1: hand. It's just by God's hand
0: that we're still democracy, here. Just, tr- just by a tiny thread of, of goodness. Oh, so,
1: we're going to get right to our special guest today, Ben Weinbarton, who is here with us from Real Clear Investigations and really all over the place. Um, And he has done some great reporting, too, on January 6th. So we are going to talk about all the ridiculousness of the January 6th uh, Fed Surrection anniversary and just cover a whole bunch of stuff. Look ahead for 2022. So, Ben, thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks so much for having me. And let me just start by saying kudos to you both, Liz. Your piece at American Greatness comparing the exploitation of January 6th to Russiagate, I think, was spot on and spoke to what a lot of people see unfolding and has been unfolding before our eyes for the last year. And Julie, obviously, kudos on your exceptional new book and all the success you've had with it. It's well-deserved.
1: Well, Well, thanks, Ben, and thanks for sharing our work and helping to cover and doing your own investigation. Of course, the chart, which we can talk about, the graph at Real Clear Investigations, is very illuminating, the difference between various riots and January 6th. <clears throat> so maybe we could start off with what was the most outlandish, preposterous, ridiculous thing that we heard from the regime this week or even yesterday?
2: <laughs> where where to begin? I, I mean, from for, for my perspective, like the first of all the the Democrats doth protest too much if there's one takeaway from all of this and there are a lot of takeaways and we've spoken before you know from the very start one of my focuses was okay th- the worst of the acts the most violent acts that were perpetrated on January 6th ought to be persecuted to the to the fullest extent period full stop just like those very same analogous acts when they're perpetrated by political actors of any kind ought to be prosecuted to the fullest extent so let's get that out of the way from the start, but it was very clear. And we talked about this months back that this event would be used as the catalyzing event, the shoddy scaffolding on which an entire war on wrong think would be built to try to cast tens of millions of people as terrorists or their co-conspirators, insurrectionists, obviously, et cetera. We know all the adjectives on the basis of the worst actions of a violent minority of a minority of tens of thousands of people who were peacefully in Washington to make their voices heard about legitimate questions about the integrity of the 2020 election that still stand. Um, So from the start, that was sort of the focus and the elevation of January 6th, a year on, and this was not the first time these comparisons were made to 9-11, Pearl Harbor, the Civil War, I think speaks to the extent to which the ruling class is grasping at straws here. The facts can't meet the narrative, so they have to put the narrative forth, forth this way. And I think two really perfect illustrations of it are obviously, as all of our your listeners know, the fact that there are no charges of treason, sedition, insurrection, terrorism that have been slapped on any of the more than 700 plus people who have been charged by a Justice Department that I'm sure would love to slap individuals with those charges if they could make a case even remotely close to it. And then the the chief judge of the D.C. District Court where these cases are being adjudicated. I think this is sort of the line of all the prosecutions and inadvertently the most telling line is Beryl Howell saying to federal prosecutors you're resolving, you're trying to resolve the crime of the century with class B misdemeanors. Mm -hmm. Now, the left takes that as the courts, the prosecutors are just going too soft on people. But the reality is that they can't make the legal case match the political rhetorical case that they're putting forth. And just the last thing I'll say is that the 9-11 comparison, it's really not even worth entertaining these, legitimizing them. But it's so outrageous to anyone who lived through, knew people who were anywhere near New York City that day. I was a student. I grew up 40 minutes outside the city in the New Jersey suburbs. My dad was working in Lower Manhattan that day. He came back hours later, thankfully, safely, covered in soot that day. Classmate after classmate of mine were called to the office that day and removed from school, not knowing the fate of their parents, most Mm -hmm. of whom were working in the city. So who the hell are they to make that comparison? I mean, it's just it's it's just utterly outrageous. I mean, I'd love to hear some journalists actually go out and interview the victims, people who were in and around New York that day and say, what do you make of the fact that the vice president would make that comparison? It's just totally sickening, asinine. And again, I think speaks to the the Democrats doth protest too much aspect of all this.
0: I think so many people have a family member that's also been in the military in one form or another who's probably been, maybe been injured or killed in one of these Cheney Wars over the years. And then to have this p- p- riot be compared to someone coming home without legs or someone not coming home or, or World War II or, I don't know, I think someone mentioned the Holocaust because, of course, you know, it's worse than the Holocaust. Um, I'm Jewish and I can make that. I can say that. <clears throat> so don't come at me. Um, it is. I think you're right. I say a lot here when we're talking about the fiascos, the various fiascos of the left is that they always shit the bed because they're so out of touch with like the average American that they have no idea what what it what really resonates with people and what doesn't. And to go out there and make the claim that, you know, it's it's exactly like the people jumping out of like a 50 story building so that they weren't burned alive, you know, that that's you know, it's commensurate, that is a commensurate analogy. It's so repulsive. Um, so that's that's true. I do, I wonder, I mentioned to Julie earlier, I get, I'm assuming, I, I don't watch CNN, maybe you know, Ben, um, that CNN carried this whole festival um, live yesterday, the various speeches and events. I, I'm curious what the ratings were, you know, how many people tuned into this show, I, I wonder.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I haven't seen the numbers yet, but I think when you have to trot out Lin Manuel Miranda to show how <laughs> sober and serious you are about this, and also when you have to highlight how journalists and politicians felt about something, how they felt about it, you don't need to ask anyone who is a grieving family or who is a victim and mercifully survived on 9/11 how they felt, or or someone in the military at Pearl Harbor. The few remaining survivors, if you ask them, how did you how did you feel? You don't need to ask that question. You know, it goes without saying. And this is sort of like the, the facts versus feelings thing. This is all facts versus feelings.
0: You don't know. Ben, it's hard to it's hard. Maybe it's just hard for you to relate to the trauma of reading a teleprompter inside safely <laughs> inside a newsroom when you know, people are rallying and flying the American flag outside the Capitol. I mean, we had we actually had media personalities talking about their trauma of just being on the air, just reading their teleprompter,
2: not being anywhere near.
0: Because if I recall, most of the footage that we have that wasn't from the surveillance cameras, which most of which is being concealed from us, came from people on the right who were there. The people there weren't. It's not like CBS News was in the fray or anything. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong but most of the people there were, were on the right. They were more citizen journalists or smaller operations. We didn't have our brave journalists from CNN with a big budget journalists at places like the New York Times. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but if I recall, most of the really inside the greedy stuff was from people, smaller or private people, I don't know. Anyway, Julie, go, go ahead.
1: Well, I think Democrats You can always count on them to overreach, right? They grab the narrative early, which is part of their genius, their evil genius. So they set the stage early on as it was actually happening, that this was an armed insurrection. That's what Joe Biden said, you know, as it was still happening. And so they grab the narrative early. So they think that they have victory. But then as the months go on, they get more desperate. They get more hyperbolic. Uh, They use more crazy comparisons like they did with Russiagate, like they've done with everything over the past five or six years. And then at the end of the day, they've so overreached that the public not only tunes them out, but the public starts to look and say, "Why why are they acting so crazy? Like, why is Kamala Harris up there flailing her arms around, you know, reciting serious, tragic dates in our history? and adding January 6th at the end. So I'm hoping, as it has usually does, that this will backfire, because they know that the narrative and the facts are collapsing. They know that people, even some lawmakers, are starting to question the FBI's role in this. We have evidence now and confirmation that the FBI was intimately involved in what was happening that day. And so they're desperate to cling to this narrative, get squeeze as much juice out of it as they can, they're going to come up with whatever this committee report. I believe they're going to have two reports. They're trying to, you know, set these trial dates right as the midterms are election uh, is is underway. And they're really using this to halt any election integrity laws in any of these states that are have already passed them or considering them. <clears throat> so the thought is to tie anybody who wants election integrity laws or to uh, you know, prevent what happened in twenty twenty from happening again, brand them as an insurrectionist or domestic terrorist or whatever. So I think that it's starting to backfire while at the same time the facts of what happened that day are completely undermining their initial portrayal of the four hour disturbance.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. And on the one hand, it's sort of like while you're while your political opponent who we'll call them a political opponent, they'll call us terrorists, but set that aside for for a moment while they're overreaching and ultimately undermining themselves. You kind of want to let your political foe do that. But on the other hand, they're doing so much damage in the interim and the the callousness, the lies, the slander, the damage being done to our democracy, our republic, really. But the damage being done to it is so substantial and significant that they have to be called on it. And you also can't see it. The narrative field to them. And I think that's why we focus on January 6th to the extent we do, even though we disagree completely with the idea that it's on the level of what they're talking about. They have made it a world historic event by how they have sought to exploit it. And I think it's worth pointing out, you know, I've made the argument before that the those being held in the D.C. jail are sort of the tip of the spear. They're the example to the American people of this is what happens if you cross the ruling class in terms of being held in pretrial detention for months on end and the abuse that's been endured, etc. And I think it really serves as t- to show that the process is the punishment for them. And there's an analogous process is the punishment with respect to the select committee, where so much damage and such a chilling effect is being done in real time. You can't underestimate the significance of it. And just the last point that I'll make is, how telling is it that this is what Democrats choose to focus on in week one of 2022? All they have essentially is our political opponents are terrorists. They're engaged in a every day a January 6th insurrection because they want to make sure that elections are marginally more legitimate and there's a little bit more integrity in them, I mean, most of these reforms at the state level still are relatively modest relative to the standard of, we vote on a singular election day, we show our ID, Mm -hmm. period, full stop. (laughs) I mean, we're still very, very far from that sort of standard, which I think speaks volumes about how far they've already gone in their agenda, but that this is the seminal point that they're clearly running on in 2022, I think certainly speaks to the weakness of the case that they have on the merits. They don't really have a case on the merits for their rule.
0: Well, this is a, has to be the distraction to um, avert people's attention from the actual numerous domestic crises that we have right now. I mean, this is an election year. Um, uh, historically, the party, the party of the president doesn't do well in the midterms for for congressional and Senate elections. Um, We're seeing uh, many Democrats are announcing they're not going to run for reelection. And the country has a lot of serious problems right now that directly affect the citizens. So it's one thing to have the luxury of obsessing about the Russia collusion hoax and buying a Robert Mueller candle on Etsy. (laughs) <laughs> you know, but, but now at a time when our energy costs are skyrocketing, it's the winter, there are empty shelves in supermarkets, gas prices have gone up, uh, we've got a lot of labor problems. I don't know how many ships are still lined up off the coast of California um, that are uh, contributing to our supply chain and our empty grocery sh- shelves, those things. And then schools, children, some children still aren't in school. Some children have to have masks there's all sorts of weird regulations get tested don't get tested too many testing and do people have the time to care about this over-the-top hysterical um you know fetishizing of january 6th it's so clearly an election ploy i don't think it's gonna work i don't think it's been a year I I think it's one thing to get people all hyped up. They were still drunk on anti-Trump juice that they had had for five years, um, getting straight into their veins from CNN and MSNBC and Washington Post. But it's been a year and people have real life problems, you know, so are they going to care? From what I understand, we're going to have some prime time congressional hearings (laughs) coming up this year. So, you know, what? What are the ratings going to be like? I mean, they can't even pull off decent ratings on their awards shows anymore. So I don't know who's going to be tuning into a primetime congressional hearing, but maybe that's just me. Um, I want to say I think one of the most despicable
1: displays yesterday was the lie once again that not only Officer Brian Sicknick died as a result of what happened on January 6th, but that. Five police officers died, and this was a lie that was told to the American public by Merrick Garland on Wednesday and was repeated numerous times yesterday, including by Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden. Brian Sicknick did not die of anything related to January 6th. He died of natural causes. The D.C. coroner, who tried to delay the results as much as he possibly could, finally was forced to release it beyond the normal deadline, which is 90 days of releasing autopsy results. He died of a stroke caused by two clots and tragically died at the age of 42. Had nothing to do, Brian Sicknick was not in any battles with any protesters. The video that you see, he's standing there. Um, Actually, Capitol Police were the ones who were dousing people with chemical spray, not vice versa. And so there's no evidence that anything Related to what he was minimally involved in on January sixth, he wasn't attacked by any protest or he wasn't brawling. Nobody punched him. Uh, I mean, the guy you could see him on video. He's sort of wandering around, rinsing out his eyes, and then he—I think he goes inside. So that lie. Then they attribute alleged suicides of one Capitol police officer and two DC Metro. They add that to the death tally. Then yesterday they. Added, excuse me, William Evans, the Capitol Police officer who was run down by a black Nation of Islam radical in April. They tied his death to January 6th. So I keep asking over and over publicly, January 6th was so bad, why do they have to continue to lie about it? On the flip side, Joe Biden, who is just an immoral, petty, vengeful man didn't bother to mention the four Americans who died that day, one of whom was executed by a police officer on federal property, of course, Ashley Babbitt, who's also a veteran, and the three other people who died that day, Roseanne Boylan, Kevin Greeson, and Benjamin Phillips. The president of the United States completely overlooked their deaths that day. Why? Because they didn't vote for him. And that Just if there's anything that sums up what a petty I didn't think I could hate a president more than I hate Barack Obama and Bill Clinton. But I think Joe Biden is even more immoral and soulless and petty than those two are, which is hard to get to. And so the fact that no Democrat mentioned the names of four Americans who died that day and pretended that five officers died. That's about all you need to say about who these people are.
2: Yeah, I I think one point that I want to underscore is you don't have to lie, conceal thousands of hours of footage, have a stacked Soviet show trial style select committee if you're confident in your case. You should be perfectly open, honest and transparent about what's transpiring. Of course, the same thing goes for the hemming and hawing the obfuscation on informants on the ground and what their role was on the day and what government officials knew and when did they know it. But then also just the cynical nature of lying about the deaths. You were exploiting people's lives, people who died. And that alone is just a really sick thing. And I know that we've been, that's basically been normalized in Washington, but it's just sick. And it really gives you insight into the psyche of the individuals who are running this charade And also it's worth noting the fact that they have to concoct these sort of cockamamie narratives about these things and engage in these crazed plots, whether it's the Russia gate or impeachment one and impeachment two or this, does that point to the strength of the ruling class or the weakness and the fear of the ruling class? And I think it speaks for itself based on the actions.
1: I think that's a great point. And yes, exploiting deaths is disgusting. You actually, I actually watched an interview with Jamie Raskin, who is, of course, on the January 6th committee also was one of the head impeachment managers. Um, His son, 25 year old son committed suicide on New Year's Eve day uh, in 2020. He actually was using his son's suicide as a talking point for January 6th. As a parent, first of all, your child dying is one is horrific, worst nightmare. Your, your child committing suicide adds a whole other level of guilt and culpability. I mean, I just can't imagine anything more horrific. And he's on MSNBC ginning up sympathy for himself and the cause of January 6th by exploiting his own son's suicide it would it's just the most depraved desperate thing I've ever seen but it will speak to the people who are dealing with right they don't care they will even exploit their own children to score political points because they are Marxists. because that's what people of the left do and so to watch them continue now and I will say it's not just the Democrats who are exploiting say, Brian Sicknick's death so is his own mother so is his alleged girlfriend who they had broken up, but she's on the news all the time talking about what happened to him. Um, so it's a collective sick mentality of these people. Um, but to well, your point, too, they oh, have oh, a ahead.
0: tradition of exploiting things like that, though. I mean, there is it mm-hmm. is consistent to see the Democrats exploit personal tragedy. I don't know if Ben, um, you're younger than us, but maybe Julie remembers the Wellstone funeral. Um, When Paul Wellstone died, um, he was a Minnesota, I believe, Minnesota um, elected official and he died. And literally it was a political rally. The funeral was was a political rally. It was a political event, (laughs) but it was a funeral. It was so disgusting. But, you know, again, it's just there there are no boundaries. There are John McCain's
1: funeral. Same thing.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, his own daughter used her father's death to go after Donald Trump. I mean, that's
2: right. Well, Bill, Bill right. Clinton's, even though I was a kid at the time, I've seen the YouTube, the Bill Clinton fake crying at the Ron Brown Ron. funeral. Yeah. I think that's the, that takes the cake.
0: <laughs> oh, that right. that truly is. That is the standard of the lip biting and then the laugh and then the sad lip biting really quick. It was, it was amazing. It well, was I like, sort of miss those days, right? When it was only that when it was only that. And now we're right. It was displaced. only that. Yeah. Um, g- working off of what you guys were talking about is this over this exaggerating and like hyper focus on really outlandish things and lies that are concocted. Um, there's no talk from the Democrats and the unipartisan commission about really just the most basic, obvious questions like, Why wasn't there security? Why wasn't there ample security at the Capitol for an event that they knew was going to take place? There had already been two large Trump rallies in D.C. prior to the January rally. There was going to be an event at the Capitol Already, it was already planned. People were already at the Capitol while Trump was speaking, and while that event was going on, because there was going to be an event there. They knew that there had been some violence in the evenings of those other events. So there was plenty of just open source information that this event on January 6th needed a, you know, you know, a, a secure, a, a fairly respectable security element there, and yet. There was none. And so nobody is talking about that Those that question is not being asked. And also, um, I would like to know if we're ever going to find out who put out the lie that Brian Sicknick was murdered by Trump supporters brandishing a fire extinguisher, because that is not just a, a whoopsie or a, I didn't hear it right type of mistake. That is a very discreet, specific description mm-hmm. of an event that absolutely did not happen. And is anyone looking into how that got into the public? Because that was used to really inflame and incite the public uh, by saying that those Trump supporters had killed a police officer. And it turned out to be just one of many lies surrounding that day.
2: And it made it into impeachment 2.0.
0: Yep. Yep. Well,
1: it was (laughs) 15.0. Well, it was obviously reported by the New York Times on January 8th. They sourced it to, they attributed it to two anonymous law enforcement officials that he had been bludgeoned to death with a fire extinguisher. So it was very clearly meant to over dramatize whatever happened to Brian Sicknick. I think also to bury what had happened to Ashley Babbitt um, yep. and the other Trump supporters that day. So this took their deaths off the pages and everything was focused on Brian Sicknick. But of course then the New York times retracted that story. They also said, Oh, it wasn't law enforcement. It was people tied to law enforcement. So Adam Schiff, like, I mean, it could have been anyone. But those reporters have not been fired. There was no formal apology by The New York Times. As Ben just said, it made it into the official government House impeachment memo. It has not been retracted, even though the story has been retracted. And to this day, you have millions of Americans who still think that, that Trump is bashed in the head of Ryan Sicknick on January 6th. They still believe it, just like they still believe that Trump and Putin were in cahoots and stole the election from Hillary Clinton.
2: I think it's it's worth noting that, first of all, this is the Pelosi Select Committee, and given Pelosi's own responsibility and connection with security at the Capitol, I think that tells you all you need to know about what you're going to get or not going to get in terms of their uh, so-called investigation. Um, I I totally agree with the point, Liz, about the way that I would frame it is, how is it possible that the most sophisticated, lavishly funded surveillance state in the seat of the country, knowing <laughs> that tens of thousands of people were coming to Washington, DC, could have possibly let the Capitol be breached. I mean, imagine if the jihadists that are in this country all set on the Capitol tomorrow, like could you what? imagine what kind of damage they could have done if they were in a situation like that. And of course they wanna compare these people to jihadists, but, but sticking with that sort of, if you're gonna to try to make that analogy, if this was some kind of sophisticated, coordinated terrorist attack, and to be fair, I guess, to the federal authorities on this, they've basically admitted, at least in, you know, anonymous leaks accounts to mainstream publications that most of the people there were not part of some organized movement. There was no pre-planning, et cetera. But set that aside, if, if the people there meet the caricature of the crazed MAGA army, you know, Second Amendment gun nuts, how is it possible that there were only five people, I think it's five people to date, who have been hit with firearm charges and none of them had guns on their person in the Capitol? Like, that's a pretty curious thing that I haven't really heard anyone talk about. And while we're going down the rabbit hole of these sorts of questions, a, a, a couple more are, if, if the shooting of Ashley Babbitt by Lieutenant Michael Byrd, this is a, a five foot nothing woman mm-hmm. unarmed, was justified, How come there weren't scores of other people who were shot that day? Because presumably there were a lot of people acting the same way that Ashley Babbitt was there. So How come she's the the one person who was shot? I mean, all of these sorts of questions, like very basic questions are not really being put out there. And then, Julie, I mean, you've hit on the 14,000 hours of footage repeatedly and what's in the footage? What don't they want us to see? It's not conspiratorial to ask those questions because they're so obfuscatory on them yeah if they're open and honest then we and we can get real answers to the questions that would be great that would be great for the country but when you constantly act like this and then you layer onto it the fact that the trust in these institutions and our knowledge of their capability to be so hyper political hyper political and weaponized has been so well exposed over the last 4 plus years it just makes it how could you not have all of these sorts of questions and many more about what transpired that day
0: Well, we certainly get like body cam released immediately from any politically expedient police-involved shooting, right? Right away. I mean, we get that video and that video is out there. So there's, you know, to contrast that with the um, obstruction of releasing this 14,000 hours of video and not just not releasing it to the public, but not wanting to release it to the defense attorneys of Mm -hmm. the people that are charged is even weirder you know, it's, it's even more more suspicious. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think everything that is has been done in the service of, I don't know, bringing these people to justice has been just so sketchy for those of us who are paying close attention. Very sketchy.
1: Well, here's my suspicion as to why they There was not more security that day and why Bowser and Pelosi rejected calls or offers, of course, even from President Trump for thousands of National Guardsmen, which is because it was an inside operation. You had the D.C. Metro Police and Capitol Police with their marching orders, contrary to what they try to portray. You had dozens, if not hundreds of officers in full riot gear poised with explosive devices, tear gas, pepper balls, sting balls with rubber bullets, you name it. They had tons of mob control weapons that they deployed against the crowd early on, which led to a lot of the confrontations that, of course, the public only sees one side of, right? They see protesters attacking police, but they don't see what happened before that confrontation, Furthermore, now that we know from this Newsweek article, this bombshell investigation report that was published on Monday, and for people who are listening who haven't seen it, uh, read the report, you need to do it. The FBI was not caught flat-footed. This totally contradicts Christopher Wray and Acting Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen's sworn testimony um, that they just didn't have enough intelligence and we'll make sure this doesn't happen again. No. DOJ... Under Rosen and the FBI had at least a half a dozen elite FBI forces stationed at Quantico the weekend before January 6th, including the hostage rescue team, SWAT teams, and they were what being briefed there or they were anticipating violence. No, I mean, we know this FBI and DOJ, they were exercising, they were gaming out what they were going to do on that day. And also contrary to Jeffrey Rosen's testimony, he made it sound like, oh, we had these FBI forces available. And as soon as the violence happened, I sent them over to Capitol Hill. No, the Newsweek report confirms that not only were they at Quantico the weekend before, but they were deployed to the Capitol that morning. They were on Capitol grounds. They were near suspiciously right near the RNC and DNC, where the alleged pipe bombs were found. Of course, the pipe bomber has never been found, but these whatever looked like an explosive device were recovered. Um, And they had FBI agents. the, The place was crawling with feds. And this speaks to why someone like Ray Epps has not been charged. Why Stuart Rhodes, who is person one and now the 20 plus Defendant conspiracy case against the Oath Keepers. Uh, he's person one in in every single indictment. I think they're on their sixth superseding indictment. Stuart Rhodes, a year later, has not been charged. He hasn't even been hauled in for questioning. He hasn't even been charged with parading at the Capitol, even though other people who were in the same vicinity with him ha- have been charged. You have photographs of men and women wearing bright orange neon caps where you can also see and I I have a report on this you could see they're wired they have earpieces they have black uh, caps underneath which some people suspect say FBI with neon hats on top of them those people have not been charged they're not on the FBI's most wanted list they're not on sedition hunters list why is that Michael Waller tweeted out today, he took photographs when he was there of people with green electrical tape on their hats. I mean, these people had like gas. They, These weren't Trump supporters who went to watch Trump's speech and walked over to Capitol Hill, right? These are people head to toe, unidentified with either orange or green tape or some sort of uh, armband or these hats. None of those people, and I could tell after all the charging documents I've looked at, I don't see anyone identified with that being charged. They're not on any lists, and we now know that there were hundreds of FBI agents all over the city that day. So, who were those people? Those are the sorts of questions that Republicans like Ted Cruz, instead of calling it a terror attack, need to be asking especially if you're sitting on the Senate Judiciary Committee, hello, you need to be asking DOJ, okay, we now have confirmation of all these elite forces. Who were they? Where were they? And you legitimately had lawmakers like AOC thought she was going to be murdered. Well, you had all these FBI agents there. What were they doing? So this is what they're the most scared of. That this is all going to be revealed, not just under questioning, but, of course, as the trials and discovery is released. And these trials, which start next month, uh, have to release this to the public.
0: Hey, maybe one of you guys know um, or you, you found some follow up on this because this has um, kind of been troubling me over the last year. I know I've talked to Julie about it, um, but maybe I missed an update on um, the panic buttons ripped out of Ayanna Presley's office. Um, do you remember that story on January 6th, we heard that the panic buttons had been ripped out of Ayanna <laughs> Presley's office on purpose, ripped out, not broken or misplaced. They were ripped out. And that was a big, Is big that a deal. thing?
1: Like, do they actually
0: have panic
1: buttons? They do. I don't know.
0: Okay. I'm sure they do. Look, they're the most important people in the world. So you Obviously. bet that they have panic buttons. Um, But that was a big deal. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, what happened? Do we get to the bottom of that? I don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't know. We'll put that on the list with the pipe bomber and who erected the noose outside that day with an orange noose. Still no video of who put that together, shockingly. Um, and also another weird thing, Michael Bird, who shot Ashley, killed Ashley Babbitt 10 minutes before he shot her, instructed House members to look under their seats to grab a very elaborate package of a gas hood and put them on because the Capitol was under attack. So, of course, that led to all sorts of optics that day. But the only people who were gassing people in the building that day were police. So, um, the more this is cobbled together, the sketchier as hell it looks. What, is that what
0: normal? Is-, is, that, is that is that like normal protocol to have gas masks under the seat like i, I don't know like it, it was was it like a special thing that was just for the day or are there just always gas masks under the seats in the rotunda or not in the rotunda in the in the well i just maybe i don't know but that seems really weird At
1: just me i don't know uh, do they usually have them i have no idea
0: i'm gonna ask my hill friends i'm gonna ask them oh, i'm okay. sorry go ahead Ben.
2: You yeah, know, I was just going to say, and maybe the answer is simply that they know certain things are going to come out in discovery for the percentage of cases that actually go to trial. But, you know, what do you think the reasoning is behind the people leaking out to The New York Times that there were at least a couple of informants on the ground leaking out? Uh, in this Newsweek piece, you know that there was a whole operation ready to go that day. Like, what do you think they're trying to get ahead of by putting that out there?
0: That's a good um, point. Every, every time there's a leak, there's a leak for a reason, right? There's a leak for a reason, and it's almost always to get in front of or set up a narrative for something that's going to come out that is going to be problematic. Go, go ahead, Julie.
1: Well, I do think it's because these cases are starting. um, The first trial uh, starts in February, uh, but you have the Oath Keepers trial starting in April. And so, you know, there is going to be lots of documentation about FBI informants or assets in that group. Um, I know that one defendant, uh, the lawyer for one defendant, has already asked the court to subpoena Stuart Rhodes and other people to Explain their role. So we'll see what the judge does. But under discovery and as these trials proceed, there's going to be a lot of evidence and questions about assets, especially in these militia groups, the Oath Keepers, Proud Boys and Three Percenters. The backdrop to that is going to be the Whitmer trial that starts on March 8th in Michigan, which is completely falling apart for the government. The defense attorneys are making a very strong case of FBI entrapment. You have the top three FBI agents. The top one who signed the criminal complaint has been fired by the FBI after he assaulted his wife. He's off the case. They've also removed the other two top FBI agents who handled at least twelve informants. You have one informant per defendant, by the way, in this case. So the top top three agents out of the Detroit field office have been removed from the case. One of the big informants who led all the optics. His name is Stephen Robson. He organized the surveillance trips. He organized a so-called militia conference to lure people into this trap. He, the FBI, paid for every single trip, every surveillance uh, uh, journey, uh, all of it. Right. He's a convicted felon. He committed two crimes while he did that. And now the government is accusing him of acting as a double agent. This just came out today. The guy is a disgusting low life, but he has been an FBI informant for decades. Uh And this whole case is falling apart. So that's going to shine a huge light on what the FBI is capable of. And the government DOJ has tied the Whitmer case to January 6th. So as this case falls apart. They've already asked for the charges to be dropped, the conspiracy for kidnapping, but that is going to be as illuminating as anything that's happening in the January 6th trials.
0: Wow. Well, um, I think the Whitmer case was a dry run really, uh, to test what they could get away with. But there certainly seems to be a pattern um, of the federal intelligence apparatus, like inserting themselves in the political direction of this country. That's very, very alarming. Certainly the setup of Whitmer. I know there used to be a saying that almost all the people at the KKK meetings were feds. They were federal informants. And it it seems like... Looking at what happened at the Whitmer with the Whitmer, ki- the alleged Whitmer kidnapping, that's actually true. And the feds weren't just like hanging around. The feds were actually I, based on the reporting I've seen. They were high level active act- actors. They weren't just, you know, kind of in the sh- shadows just hanging around with this group. They were actually making direct making uh, plans and making uh you know, giving orders and su- su- making suggestions. So it seems like it wouldn't be too far off to say that this a similar that there was a similar situation on J6 with a little federal help. I-, I would like to get both of your opinions on what is the deal with the pipe bomb. We know that there were two pipe bombs set um, outside the RNC and the DNC on January 5th. And there's some really sad video that we have released from the FBI what do you think that that was one actually someone trying to set a bomb at both of those locations? and if not, then what was go what was going on with that?
2: Yeah, I mean, let me just say for my part i'm I'm pretty baffled by this, sort of like uh, the the case that Darren Beatty was making yesterday about federal informants that like you look at the the facts and what we know and then you look at the obfuscation or you know at the very best what you could say is just gross incompetence i go back to the fact that we're talking about the most surveilled city a jurisdiction in the country maybe in the world with the most sophisticated technology where we see by contrast of course this massive dragnet of epic proportions the gr- greatest most sprawling investigation in history essentially paraphrasing what the doj is saying about the pursuit of capital breachers, and it's worth noting they call it the capital breach on the website associated with this. They don't call it an insurrection or the like. Right. Uh, and and that's and that's not accidental. They're they're careful with their words. Uh, it 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 just strains credulity to think that they couldn't find this person. Uh, it's just remarkable to me. I don't know. I don't want to speculate about who the person was or you know was this a legitimate threat or not because I really don't know. Uh, and I think it, I I just I would be getting over my skis to to speculate on it. But I also look at this and then I look at the Las Vegas shooter and it's just bizarre. How could it be possible that we pay the tens of billions of dollars a year, if not more, to this massive security apparatus? And the security apparatus is seemingly exceptional at being able to pursue those who dissent from the ruling class's orthodoxy. But when it comes to these other instances, before we even get into obviously the comparison to summer 2020 riots or the 2017 inauguration riot or the like, it it just totally strains credulity to think. Now, we can believe that government's incompetent. We can believe that our security apparatus is not nearly as competent as it ought to be because that's been proven time and time again in real situations with our adversaries. That is believable. But then you have the nefarious question, not just incompetence, but nefariousness when it comes to the seeming double standards and obviously what we've seen over the last four plus years of the total abuse, hyper politicization and weaponization of these apparatuses, of course, with a willing media serving as their communications arm in pursuit of political dissenters.
0: That's well, well put, Ben, I think really well, well said. Julie, what do you think about the bomber, the bomb? Do you, have it, um, do you know by any chance? I'm, I remember reading at the beginning that the bomb's. That they had gotten the pipe bombs were not functional, and I don't know if that's true or not. Maybe that was just the fog of war, early reporting. Um, but they were set in the evening. When were they going to go off? Because they didn't end up going off. So they were just found first. Anyway, go ahead, Julie.
1: Well, I think um, Caesar Sayak. I think he put the bombs together and sent them to whoever. <laughs> remember Caesar Sayak, the guy who found with a van. Loaded with Trump stickers, uh, who sent bombs right before the 2018 election. Anyway, the I believe Capitol Police Chief, ex-Capitol Police Chief Steven Sund, claimed that their bomb unit uh, detonated the bombs, and then the evidence was taken to the FBI. Now we haven't heard anything from the FBI on this. They claim to have a hundred thousand dollar reward. I feel like maybe they gave the evidence to CrowdStrike, and CrowdStrike is uh, trying to figure out yeah. what happened with the pipe bombs. Like, this just sounds exactly like the DNC server. But I don't know, this was overlooked yesterday. Kyle Cheney at Political reported that Kamala Harris was at the DNC headquarters for some reason on January 6th, and she was in the building when the alleged pipe bomb was uh, confiscated. So, That seems like an odd little factoid that we're just learning a year later, don't you think?
2: Nothing is coincidental when it comes to these leaks, as as was noted before. I'm looking back and there was a statement put out by the assistant director in charge of the FBI's Washington field office who said, these pipe bombs, this is a direct quote, were viable devices that could have detonated causing innocent bystanders to be seriously injured or killed. You would think to your point then, that we wouldn't know in a long time ago that Kamala Harris, the vice president of the United States uh, would be in danger, or the vice president elect at the time would be in danger. It's kind of weird that we only find that right. out a year later. Right. What was well, she doing
0: there? Wasn't this at 1 a.m.? or something? Like, this was like really late at night. What was she doing at the DNC? No, no,
1: that afternoon she was there. She was there that afternoon.
0: Okay. So. Do do either of you remember when exactly the bombs were found, like the afternoon, right in the morning of January 6th? Wait, say that again. When when were the bombs found by authorities? We know when they were set. They were set January 5th at night. But when were they actually found?
1: So the first pipe bomb was discovered by a federal employee, a woman who actually works with D.C. D.H.S., shocking. Um, She somehow was going to do her laundry that afternoon, walk through an alley and saw what she thought was a pipe bomb. That's another whole sketchy story. So that was outside the RNC. She claimed she went to a security guard at the RNC headquarters. Now this is located, these buildings are to the east of the Capitol building, but pretty close, right? A few blocks. So she notified the security guard at RNC, and he contacted Capitol Police. This is a whole sketchy story. Then the DNC one is located, I believe, like around 1.30. So it all just has been said. There's no coincidences. This is so obviously coordinated. And now to think that Kamala Harris was at the DNC headquarters, why are we learning this a year later? No one has asked about her whereabouts that day. Like, that just seems
2: weird. I'm sure Mm -hmm. our intrepid media is on the case. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, well, Kyle uh, Cheney had no answers for it, so he was just posing a right.
0: question. Well, we we have to wrap up because um, all three of us are in high demand and <laughs> yeah. we have a heart out and um, but this has been very enlightening. We could go on for hours with this and I want to just give a shout out to all the feds listening to our podcast this week. (laughs) Hi. I I wasn't there. I wasn't. Um, And I don't know anything about it. So thank you all for listening. And again, I want to give a big thanks to our guest, Ben Weingarten, who has put together a most excellent informational chart over at Real Clear Investigations, uh, comparing the details of the January 6th uh, political protests with the Antifa BLM riots of summer 2020. And so definitely go take a look over there. And as usual, thank you, Julie. And we will be back next week. Oh, and please don't oh, forget to subscribe. I get, can I give oh, a shout go out on for Julie. my book? Oh, yeah. Julie has to, has something to to promote. So go on, Julie.
1: Sorry, shamelessly promoting my own book. Um, it went up on Amazon and Barnes and Noble this week. It's called January 6th, How the Democrats Are Using the Capitol Protest to Launch a Domestic War Against the Political Right. And um, I urge you, please, if you haven't yet, please purchase it because we're trying to knock Jamie Raskin's book. I'm number two. He's number one on the new release, Amazon's bestseller. So we want to knock him out of there. Send a little message to the J6 committee. So if you haven't purchased one, please do.
0: All right. Thanks again, guys. And we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week.